This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience, and today we bring you the story of the physiology of basketball. So what do I mean when I say the physiology of basketball? Well, first, let me say that I took the title directly from the title of Chapter 10 of Dr. Naismith's own book on the game of basketball. Naismith invented the game of basketball in 1891, and it grew to become an Olympic sport in 1936 and, of course, became the worldwide phenomenon that we see today, with professional leagues all over the world. Near the end of his life, people begged Naismith to write his own book on the game of basketball. Many books have been written by others on coaching or how to run a practice or game tactics and strategies, even biographies on some of the great players of the early 1900s. But what many basketball enthusiasts and historians like me wanted was a book written by the inventor himself. This would be seen as the authoritative book on the game, its development, and thoughts on where the game is going. So, at the very end of his life, Dr. Naismith decided to write a book simply called Basketball, Its Origin and Development. Dr. Naismith passed away in 1939, but the book was not published until 1941 after going through some very heavy edits. You see, Dr. Naismith was not the greatest writer in the world, and the publisher had someone come in and edit Naismith's work into something that was clear and readable. Anyway, with that bit of introduction, let me get to the actual story for today, the physiology of basketball. The question that was being addressed was this, was the game of basketball too strenuous to play by anyone other than grown men? I mean, the question sounds ludicrous today. I used to coach six-year-old boys and six-year-old girls in youth basketball, and they were able to play 24 minutes of basketball with no problems at all. Nobody was passing out from the strain of playing the game. At that young age, they were happily running up and down the court just trying to get in on the action. But in the late 1800s and very early 1900s, this was a very serious question, and the leaders of the game had to answer it. What prompted people to even suggest that basketball was too strenuous was the way that the players were sweating and gasping for air after a few trips up and down the court. Some people from within the medical community at the time felt that an increased heart rate was not good for the body, and that could lead to some extensive damage. Again, we all know now that this is not true. When any athlete is looking to increase their fitness, they will push themselves through in conditioning drills to purposely increase their heart rate for extended periods of time so that they have increased stamina and more energy during games. There were others in the medical community who thought that sweating and having an elevated heart rate was okay for men because they were sturdier and more hardy, but that women could not handle such a thing. Women were considered to be far more delicate and could not physically handle sweating or an elevated heart rate. Now, one doctor in the early 1900s did an experiment by taking small blood samples from a group of men who were about to play a game of basketball. He took a sample from before and after the game to see what changes there were in the blood. Well, of course there were going to be changes in the blood. The body expends a lot of energy when playing any game, basketball or otherwise. Certain blood sugars get depleted, but today we all know that these glucose levels get replenished with rest and nutrition. 
But at the time, they viewed this as proof that basketball was simply too strenuous and needed to be played for fewer minutes or not played at all. Well, Naismith did not like this at all. He had witnessed hundreds and hundreds of games and players did not seem to suffer any ill effects. He has watched high school tournaments where teams will play multiple games on the same day, but then they seem perfectly fine after some rest and a meal. Of course, simple observation is no basis for scientific conclusions. So, Dr. Naismith decided to run an experiment at a boys basketball tournament that was going to feature many teams and some of these teams were going to play multiple games on the same day as part of the competition. Competition. With the cooperation of the teams and some assistance from some university-level physical education students, they took urine samples of all the players immediately after each game. To make a long story short, after the four-day competition was over, Dr. Naismith determined that the boys were fine based on the samples that they had collected. But there was something else to consider. He knew that most people would look at his results skeptically because of his interest in promoting the game. I mean, of course, the inventor of the game would say that the game is not too strenuous. He has an incentive to see his game flourish. The inventor of the game would never torpedo his own invention. So, to keep his name out of it, he turned over all of the samples to the Department of Physiology and Chemistry at the University of Kansas where Naismith was a professor. After they studied the samples, they determined that there were no ill effects of playing basketball. They had overturned the previous research. Basketball was no more strenuous than lacrosse, soccer, rugby, or any other game that required a lot of running. So with this scientific conclusion, this is a good place to take a break. And I'll be right back with more on the physiology of basketball. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Hello, sports history fans. I'm Ross from the podcast Pigskin Tales. You're about to jump into another thrilling sports history moment. But first, let's dive into today's sponsor, just in time for the holiday season. Introducing Art of Words, the brainchild of word artist Dan Duffy from Philadelphia. Dan meticulously crafts stunning images by handwriting relevant words from some of the greatest sports moments in time. These unique budget-friendly illustrations are the perfect gift, sparking cherished memories and capturing hearts. Choose from city skylines, sports, history, and musicians to find a piece for everyone. And here's the exciting part. 
for that sports fanatic in your life? Gift them a piece of their favorite team or player's history. Art of Words tells a compelling story. Explore collegiate stadiums, each meticulously crafted with every football victory etched into words. Or venture into baseball stadiums, handwritten with every player from the team's illustrious history. My favorite on the site is Bryce Harper 2021 MVP year. Because I'm a big stats guy, I think that's one of the coolest things ever. Check it out. Don't wait. Order a print today for yourself and your loved one this holiday season. Transform your wall into a gallery of captivating art and surprise your family and friends with a print of their own. Use code SHN15 at artofwords.com for a 15% discount on your order in November and December. Visit Art of Words, where words magically transform into stunning art, evoking cherished memories and touching the hearts of those who you care about. Again, use the code SHN15 for 15% off at artofwords.com. Welcome back to the show and let us continue to take a walk down memory lane all the way back to the early 1900s when it was thought that this great game of basketball was possibly too strenuous to be played. As I mentioned before the break, Dr. Naismith conducted his own experiments on high school boys during a four day long basketball tournament to see what condition they were in after having played multiple games for several days in a row. He discovered, or rather, he confirmed that basketball is no more strenuous than any other sport and there were no long-term ill effects. But with many topics, sometimes it is very difficult to get people to believe the science. Many in basketball leadership still felt that the game was just too much for girls. They clearly understood that for boys, the game was fine. The experiments had proven that, but no experiments had ever been done on female players. So, for females, a new version of basketball developed that would cut down on the amount of running required, and they eventually settled on a version of basketball that was 6 on 6 for girls. And I will give a quick overview of how this game was played. I actually did an entire episode on 6 on 6 girls basketball all the way back in episode 91 if you want to go back and check that out. Anyway, in this version of the game, each team took the court with six players. Three were offensive specialists and three were defensive specialists. A team's offensive specialist stayed in the front court and they could not cross the midcourt line. The three defensive specialists would stay in the backcourt and they also could not cross the half-court line. And they would line up, the defenders would, with the other team's offensive players. Now again, not a single player could cross half-court. So what you had was really two separate three-on-three -three basketball games going on. If a defensive player grabbed the rebound, she would have to pass it across midcourt to an offensive teammate who would then go into a half-court three-on-three game on her end of the court. So while the game action was happening at one end of the court, the players from the other half of the court just stood there waiting for the ball to come back. But this cut down on the amount of running that the girls would have to endure, and this was the goal. It was seen as a compromise so that girls could still play the game, but not run as much and have a less strenuous experience. Thankfully, more experiments were run on the game of basketball that included both boys and girls, and these new experiments were not run by Naismith. Other researchers and doctors wanted to find out more about how this particular game impacted the physiology of the players. 
In some experiments, the researchers took stopwatches to calculate how much time players spend in actual motion versus resting, like when the game stopped for somebody to shoot free throws or a timeout was called. They wanted to measure heart rates at different points of the game and at different levels of activity. How long did it take a player's heart rate to return to normal when he was subbed out and sitting on the bench? A voluminous amount of research was done, and thankfully, it all came back to the same conclusion. Basketball was no more strenuous than any other sports and it was by no means too strenuous for boys or girls to play. Today, we live in an era where there is so much knowledge in the area of sports medicine. This era of basketball that is the subject of our story today is from the very early 1900s. This was literally over 100 years ago, and the world has learned so much about physical exertion and its effects on the human body. We are light years ahead of where they were 100 years ago in this area, but I do not blame the people from that era on their conclusions. I believe that they were doing their best to figure out if the game was good for the athlete or not. Even though some of them had come up with wrong conclusions, I believe that they were very genuine in trying to advance the science in this area. Now, looking back, it's almost medieval by comparison to what we do today. But we should take some time to step off of our own pedestals and try to imagine what scientists will learn about the human body a hundred years from now. The researchers of the future are going to look back at our era today and probably laugh at how little we know about physiology as compared to what they will know in a hundred years. My point is this, regardless of the era, everyone is just trying to do the best they can in learning as much as they can about the impact of basketball and the human body and sports in general. I mean, everyone has to start somewhere. I mean, it was not until the 1970s that athletic trainers discovered that ice bags were a great tool for helping players recover from a hard game. Reducing inflammation is key to recovery. Up until the 1970s, they thought that applying heat to inflammation was a proper technique. And now we all know that heat is probably the worst thing that you can apply to inflammation. But again, everyone has to start somewhere. So I do not want to just pile on and insult the researchers and doctors from the early 1900s. Science is a process and we are always learning more. And sometimes we overturn previous conclusions as more information comes in. And that is okay. That is how science is done. I'm just glad that basketball is still a game and that it is wildly popular and no, it is not too strenuous for anyone to play. If a six-year-old kid can run up and down the court for 24 minutes of game action, then anyone can play basketball. Well, that is it for today. Join us next time when we share the story of when the great Elgin Baylor refused to play in an exhibition game when the team hotel refused him accommodations. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast and check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussions starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories in the past. Take care and see you soon. <laughs>